today. I know it's going to be a hot day, and I was going to try to keep this one short for those of you who are outside, but this is a really important message, okay? And this is one that if you get this, if you understand this, this is a game changer in your faith. This is how important it is. So I might go over time, so sorry for those of you who are outside. I'm just apologizing before. But we're going to talk about, you know, we've been talk, going through the book of Galatians. And previously, you know, in the first two chapters, Paul is defending himself because he's been accused of being a false apostle. He was accused of teaching false doctrine because there's a group of Judaizers there who are infiltrating the church. And they were saying that salvation comes through faith and works. Okay, that um, in order for you to be saved, you have to believe in Jesus, but then you also have to become a Jew. You have, for the males, it had to be, you had to become circumcised and you had to follow the law in order to be saved, right? Your salvation was not complete unless you followed the law. And Paul is saying, no, that's not true, that we're saved by faith and faith alone. So there was a conflict there. And so they were accusing Paul. Now, Paul was spending the first two chapters trying to defend himself. He said, no, I am preaching the true gospel, right? And so now we're shifting into a thing called doctrine, or basically it's the beliefs that our faith is founded on. And this is one of the most important ones. It's called the doctrine of justification through faith alone. And we're going to unpack that today. But this is one that even Martin Luther, now I'm not talking about Martin Luther King, I'm talking about Martin Luther, the one who founded the Protestant movement, the one that was, uh, that we all owe our thanks to, because it was him that he, what? He uh, rebelled against the Catholic Church, and he started the Protestant Reformation. So whether you're Baptist, Free Methodist, you're Lutheran or Presbyterian, Evangelical Free, we all owe our thanks to Martin Luther. But this is what he was saying when it comes to justification by faith. It says, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression— the justice of God, because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience. Now, how many of that of us could identify with that? Where we understand that, yes, God is a just God, and God does Judge, uh, deal justly with the unjust, but then Martin Luther was so troubled, he knew his sin life, that he stood before God troubled because of his conscience, because he knew he was a sinner, right? And he continued to sin even though he was a believer. He said, I had no confidence that my merit could assuage him. And so what Martin Luther is saying here, he had absolutely no confidence that his good works could change God's mind in the fact that he was being judged because he made mistakes all the time. He said, therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Could you imagine that? 
Martin Luther was so troubled with the justice of God, seeing that God is a God that punishes the sinner and unjust. And he knew in himself that, yes, I'm a good monk. I do all of the things that I should do. But he knew his thought life. He knew all of the mistakes that he made, that he could not love this God. And he actually said he hated and murmured against him because he did not yet understand justification by faith in Jesus and Christ alone. And this is what we're going to talk about today, because there are some of us who feel that, and I felt that way too, right? Well, I understood that God is a holy and righteous God, and I knew my thought life. I knew what I did when no one was looking, and there was a time when, man, God, you know, I, I quit. You know, this, this Christianity, it's just too hard because I tried to do the right thing over and over and over again, and I kept on failing and failing and failing. And me not understanding this, just like Luther, this was one thing that almost pushed me away from Christianity. Because I just felt that, God, okay, I, I, I'm a loser. I can't do this. I'm a failure of a believer. I'm too tired. It's not worth it. And some of you might be feeling that here right now. Well, you're trying to do your best to gain acceptance from God, and yet you're well, you're well aware of your miscomings. And you're saying, you know, if this is what it's going to take for God to accept me, if this is what it's going to take for God to approve me, if this is what it's going to take for God to love me, to follow all of these rules that I see, then forget it. It's just too difficult. Same thing Martin Luther felt. And this is why this is so important that we understand justification by faith alone. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Galatians 2.15? Galatians 2.15. And Paul starts off by saying, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Okay, you have to realize the Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews despised the Gentiles. They looked down on the Gentiles. They felt that they were superior to Gentiles. And what's a Gentile? A Gentile was just pretty much non-Jews because the Jews felt, you know, according to the Old Testament laws, they felt that at least we have the laws. If we follow, that makes us right with God. But you know, the Gentiles, they didn't have that. They didn't have the laws. So they were sinners. They were outcasts. You know, they were unclean. So much that the Jews looked, despised them, looked down on them, and wouldn't even fellowship. They wouldn't even talk to a Jew, right? And, and so this is why last week we talked about uh, discrimination and racism and how harmful that is to the church. And where Peter, Paul had to confront Peter because what? When Judaizers or those who are ones who believe that you needed to, uh, salvation came by faith and works, when they came to Antioch, what did Peter do? He was afraid of them. He was afraid of what they were saying. So Peter, who was fellowshipping and eating with the Gentiles, enjoying their company, deserted them, right? And he, started, he pretty much only hung out with the Jews, and the Gentiles are probably confused, saying, hey, what's going on here? Did we do something wrong? Right? But once again, this stemmed from 
you know, millennium of Jews despising Gentiles, right? But now he's saying that we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is we, as knowing that we are Jews, but we are believing Jews. We no longer believe that um, salvation comes through following the law. And he says here that um, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, right? This word justified is a huge term. You all have to get it. It has to move from up here to in here. Because if it stays up here, you're going to live uh, you're going to live a troubled life just like Martin Luther did before he understood the uh, doctrine of justification by faith. Now what is justification? Justification is the legal declaration by God stating that all believers are righteous in his eyes. This is a rhetorical question. How many of you would characterize yourself or believe that you're righteous? I would say a lot of us would say no. I know my life. Pastor, you don't know what I'm like outside of Sunday, outside church. You know, I don't think... I'm righteous, right? But justification is an act by God. It is a declaration by God and not yourself. It doesn't matter what you believe or what you feel about yourself. Why? Because God is the one who justified you. God is the one who declared you righteous or, in other words, not guilty. For how long? Forever. For all time. Right? And this is why this is so important. And there are two parts of justification. Right? One is the forgiveness of all of our sins. Okay? In order to feed, God is a just God. So in order to be a just God, sin had to have a payment. Because if God just said, you know what, I forgive you, that's not just. Right? Because we all made mistakes. There had to have been a payment. And guess what? Jesus Christ made that payment for all of us. Therefore, we have forgiveness of all of our sins. What kind of sins? The little ones? The big ones? The ones we maybe do once or twice in our life? Or how about the ones that we struggle with every single day? What sins are forgiven? All of them. All of them have been forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But also in his, uh, the second part is ascribing Christ's righteousness to us. Now this is key. It's not by your works. It's not by your good deeds that God says you're righteous. What? It's because of what Christ did for us on the cross that God, now we what? Ascribe or we are credited Christ's righteousness. Right? And so that's why God sees us righteous. Not because of our works, because of what Jesus did for us. Right? In Romans 4, 6, the Apostle Paul says, David said the same, 
says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from work. He said, we are blessed. Blessed are those who God says are not guilty, who are, not, who are righteous apart from their good works, right? Because we know in Isaiah, he says that our good works are like filthy rags to a holy God. And so what um, Isaiah is saying here is if you get your very best, if you take a look at every good thing that you did, the very best intentions, the best motives, and the best acts that you've done, and you prevent, you put them on the altar and um, present them to God, what does he say? To a holy and righteous God, they're filthy rags, right? And, and so he said, blessed is the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. You and I had nothing to do with God declaring us righteous. So we need to stop believing that we're not righteous. Why? Because the Bible says you are. Because God says you're righteous. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what we see in Scripture. And he says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. I mean, isn't that inspiring? You know, when, when you're looking at your life, when, when, you know, I don't know why Luther didn't get this, but he probably understood this, but this whole thing of dealing with a just God just tripped him up because he knew that he sinned. But what does it say? Blessed is the one who, whose sin the Lord will never count against them. See, justification starts by the forgiveness of what? All of your sins. And he will never, ever count them against you. The problem is, sometimes we have a better memory than God. The Bible says he what? Separates our sin as far as east is from west and what? Remembers them no more. But what's our problem? We remember. Right? We remember. But we have to realize that, that God does not count us against them. And this is tough because if you take a look at religions, religions are basically separated into two categories. You have the relationships that are about the do's. You do this, you do that, you follow the rules, you be good, then there's a chance that you could go to heaven, right? And if you look at all the other religions, they have that one thread, right? It's all about doing. It's following whatever beliefs they had. And if you do it well enough, then you get into heaven, then we have Christianity on the other side. That's not about do's, it's about done. When Jesus said, it is finished, it is done. That he did the work for us, so we don't have to live a life of do's, right? Because it is done. However, in order for you to fully appreciate the doctrine of justification in faith in Christ alone, you have to understand and believe the doctrine of the free grace of God, right? And what is that? Well, first of all, you have to say that, you know what, in who I am, you know, I am so sinful that there's absolutely no way on my own I could have a right relationship with God. That you're so aware of, you know, our sin, that yes, I have a lot of good works here, but oh my gosh, my, my, my sin outweighs the good 
a thousand to one, right? You have to get to the point where you're saying, you know what, I'm so sinful, there's just no way that in and of myself I could have a right relationship with God. Second is, without the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, there is no way I could save myself and enter the kingdom of heaven. And once you understand this, once you understand like Paul did when he said, I am the worst of sinners, once you understand this, then what? The grace of God becomes meaningful. And I think for some of us, the hang-up might be is you don't fully believe this. That you say, yeah, I'm bad, but you know what? I'm not that bad. You know, there are, gosh, look at what some of these other people are doing. I'm really not that bad. That yes, well, you know, there's still a part of good in me that could, God will see that, and he'll take that into stock when I get into the kingdom of God. If we still think that we're okay, if we don't get to the point where Paul got to, where he said, I am the worst of all sinners, and that there's absolutely no way that I could earn my salvation. There's absolutely no way I could earn my acceptance with God. We'll never understand the doctrine of justification because we're saying, okay, yeah, well, God says I'm not guilty. Well, of course, because I'm really not that bad. I'm really not that bad. This is why it's so important for us to really understand the grace of God and how bad we were and how much God loved us in order to save us. And he continues on in Galatians 2.16. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law no one can be justified. And so what, you know, even as believers we could be in this party that says, you know what, in order for me to be accepted, I have to pray more. In order for me to be accepted, I need to read my Bible more. In order for me to be accepted by God, I need to attend church service more. I need to serve more. I need to evangelize more, 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 more. Or we could be on the other side and say, everything that I am is because of Jesus Christ. Everything I have is because Jesus credited to me. I am accepted solely by what Jesus Christ did and not what I do. And what's Paul saying here? He also continues to say, if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Basically what Paul is saying here, if the Judaizers are correct, if they're correct by saying that salvation comes by faith in Jesus and by works, meaning following the law, then Jesus is wrong by saying salvation is based upon faith alone. And if Jesus is wrong, he's leading people into sin. So Paul is using that argument here, but he's also saying that, you know, Jesus is incapable of sin, right? So therefore, he must be right, and the gospel message by salvation, by faith and faith alone has to be correct, and that's what he was saying. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would 
be a lawbreaker. What are you saying? If I rebuild salvation by faith and works, if I go back to that, then I would be breaking the law of the gospel. And that's what he was saying here. It says, for through the law I died um, to the law so that I might live for God. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, some of us have read this over and over and over again, right? But if you really think about it, this is a really hard verse for us to truly understand. Some people believe that it's a metaphor or symbolic of us dying to our old self and reminding us that we are a new creature. All right? And that's what they take a look at this verse, and it says, it's a reminder for us to live like Christ. Others believe that this is literal, right? That somehow spiritually, not physically, we have been crucified by Christ. That our old self has been put to death, and that we are a new creature with Christ living in us. It's not just a metaphor or an example This is, even though we can't explain it, that there's something that happens to our soul when we accept Christ. That that part of who we are, that which makes us unique, that which makes us us, is crucified by Christ, right? And so which is it? Well, I think it's both. I can't explain how this works. I truly don't understand how our souls, when we believe in Jesus, can be actually crucified and killed, that our old self is dead, and that we are what? A new creature in Christ. I believe that, and I'll probably never know until we get to heaven. But basically, a Christian is one who has Christ living in them. Remember I I told you about Martin Luther? Well, that was before he understood justification by faith and faith alone. This is um, afterwards. He goes, night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is the righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies through faith. Therefore, upon I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole world of Scripture took a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became the inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Before he was tortured. Before he hated God, because he knew that he made mistakes, right? And he felt that God would look at him and punish him because of his mistakes. But now he understood justification by faith, and it opened up a whole new world. It changed his faith. It changed his life, right? And this is what we're talking about here. Even Paul, write this down. I don't have it up here, but Romans 7, starting from verse 21. Okay, Romans 7, if you have your Bibles, you could look it up right now, starting from verse 21. So I find this law at work. 
although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Okay, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now, this is when, not when Paul had just become a believer. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he was a mature believer. He'd been walking and preaching with God for a while, preaching the gospel for a while. But he said, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. It's interesting here. He says he sees two. He's at war. He's at war. What? There's something going on up here. He said it's his mind. There's a struggle that he sees that's going on in a mind. And where he says it's making him a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now, this is Martin Luther, right? It's, it's keeping him a prisoner. Martin Luther, before he understood the justification of faith, before he understood that God has declared me, him righteous, not because of what he did, but for God declared him righteous because of what Jesus did for all time, right? Not that he, it was only till Martin Luther understand that he was not guilty now and forever, that he was able to break that shackles because he was a prisoner just like Paul. And Paul continues in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, we sang that song, Amazing Grace. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch like me. And this is what Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Because, you know, Paul understood the law. And he says, you know, the law is good because the law, you know, points where he's fallen short of God. And that points him to the point where I need God for salvation because in and of itself I can't do that. But then when he truly understands justification by faith, it changed his life. And so he, what does he say? He wants to Live, what? For Christ. Once you understand justification by faith, it changes your whole output of life, and you want to live for Christ. This is how you know a person's uh, truly understood justification by faith alone. Is you want to live for Christ in Christ alone, Right? And what does it mean to live for Christ? Well, you, to follow the commands of Jesus, right? Jesus said what? Love God and love your neighbor. He said all of the, what, laws in the Old Testament, boom. They hang on that. Well, everything in the New Testament also hangs under those two things. And so basically, we need to follow the commands of Jesus. That's what it means by living our life for Christ. And so where? Well, in every aspect of my life. Well, how do I follow the commands of Jesus? Well, for those of you who are students, yes, you want to do the best you can through studying, but what is the goal? Is the goal so you could get in a great college, so you could get a great job, and you could make a lot of money, so you could have a comfortable life? No. 
the goal of choosing a career wherever it might be, whether it's college or not college, is what? To be able to utilize the gifts God's given you so you could what? Serve him in your career. It has, doesn't matter what you do as long as you what? You utilize the gifts that God has given you to serve him. This is why we want to do that for you who are students at home. You know, how do you live for Christ? Well, it's the way you, you, you treat your siblings. It's the way you treat your spouse. It's the way you treat um, your extended family members, right? Are you following the teachings of Scripture, right? Or at work. You know, when you live for Christ, you no longer see work as a place for you to earn a living. You see work as a place where you could do what? It's a mission field for you. It's a place where you could bring healing. It's a place where you could bring Jesus' comfort. And it's a place where you could encourage people in Jesus. Now, I've worked in the work field too, and I'm not saying that you have to go and walk around with your Bible and tell people, hey, do you know Jesus? That's not what I'm saying, because you do that, you're going to get in trouble. You know, especially if you're in management, you start proselytizing, you're going to be in trouble. However, there are times when People are going to go through trouble, problems, and they might come to you and ask for advice. And that's when, what? If you live for Christ, this is where your testimony comes in. Well, you know, I'm a Christian, and this is what Jesus has done for me. This is how Jesus has got me through this situation where I felt that I didn't have hope. Right? Jesus gives me hope. You know, organizations... You know, for those of you who are in different organizations, let's say your kids are playing sports, right? It's not just, if you are living for Christ, you don't see that as a place where, you know what? My child could learn teamwork. My child could learn what it means to do this or that. You look at it as a way to say, okay, these are individuals that are what? I could minister to. These are individuals that I could bless, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's school activities, whatever. If you live for Christ, you look at these opportunities for, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Basically, what I'm saying is to live to Christ, you look at every situation, wherever you're at. I don't care whether you're a teenager, you know, whether you're a college student, a young adult, an adult, a parent, retired, grandparent, it makes no difference. The common thread is what? You live for Christ. And you look at every situation in your life as a way to what? Impact the world for him. Right? However, and this is my, and it says um, in verse 21, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And what Paul is saying, you know what? I am not going to push aside the grace. Because if I could have been saved, if I could have made, been made right with God, if I could have been accepted by God through righteousness, then Christ died for nothing, right? But you know, we're all in the same boat, each one of us, on our own. We could never, ever be accepted by Christ. But you know what? Because of Christ, we are accepted by Christ. We are declared righteous by Christ. I don't care how many mistakes 
we've made in our life. And I, I'll put money at that some of us made even a lot of mistakes before we came here this morning, right? It doesn't matter that God says you're not guilty. You are fully accepted by God. And this world is going to tell you, well, in order for you to be accepted, you have to be this, you have to look like this, you have to have this, right? What does the Bible say? You are fully accepted by God. Whether you succeed, whether you fail, doesn't matter. That doesn't change the fact that you are fully, and you will always be fully accepted by God. And I didn't understand that, just like Martin Luther. And because I didn't understand that, it almost pushed me away from Christianity because I said, you know what, following these rules is just too hard. You know, after decades and decades and decades of trying and failing, trying and failing, I just was ready to walk away from Christianity. But then this got hold of me. And I said, you know what? I am forever accepted by God. doesn't matter what I do. Change my life. See, God is not opposed to grace-directed effort, but he is opposed to earning his grace. And this is important. We all have to get this. God is not opposed to grace-directed effort, but he is opposed to earning his grace. Right? When we respond to God's grace, we need to put in the effort it takes to follow the commands of Jesus. It doesn't happen automatically. It's a choice that you and I make every single day. Why? Because we have free will, and that doesn't go away, right? There's nothing wrong with putting in the effort that we need to, be, to live in obedience um, to Christ in response to the grace that he's given us. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong to say, you know, God, thank you so much that you died for me, that you accepted me, that you declared me righteous. Lord, that I want to please you. I choose to want to please you. Nothing wrong with that. One person said that, Bible teacher said, that by trying to earn God's grace is a criminal doctrine. Let me repeat that. Trying to earn God's grace is a criminal doctrine. That's heresy at the highest level. If we think and we believe that we could earn God's grace, it's a free gift of God. And so we could respond to, you know, God or live our life in three ways. Number one, we could try to live like the Judaizers. Well, yes, salvation by faith, but works. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to live the perfect life. I need to do this, do this, do this, and not do this, do this, do this. You could live your life in a legalistic life. You're going to end up like Luther. Martin Luther, you're going to end up like me, who are just saying, you know what, this is too hard. I want to quit. Or you could live, oh, okay, I'm righteous. I'm justified. I'm accepted. Well, then I'm going to do whatever I want because it really doesn't matter 
right? Because I'm, you know, pastor, do you say I'm forgiven? Yes. Well, you know, if I'm forgiven, hey, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I could do that. Well, there, you know, the book of Romans addresses that. If you live that way, you are still going to live as a prisoner. You're going to be miserable, right? Or you could live for you could live your life for Christ, living under His grace, being justified, being declared righteous, not by what you did, but through Jesus Christ. You could live your life that way. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. But then no longer are you fearful of a God that's going to hammer you. This is your father who you go to him and say, God, I messed up. Forgive me. And God says, done. Go up and live your life. Live with my son in your life. And you can live like that. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next sermons. And I hope that you live your third way. Because the first two ways, you're prisoners. You're going to be miserable. The only way to live your life is to live for Christ under his grace, believing that you were justified, that you have been declared righteousness, righteous by faith and faith alone. All right. So what's a weekly challenge? I want us to read Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and Romans 4, 6 through 8 daily. And the reason I need you to do this, the reason this is important, because there are some like you who maybe not fully grasp or understand this. It's still up here and not here. And if it's, not, if it's still up here, guess what? Man, there's a battle that's going to be going on, and this is where Satan's going to attack. He's going to say, Dave, you're such a miserable Christian. Dave, how could you consider yourself a pastor? God made a mistake. Look at all the mistakes you've made. You have no right to be a pastor, right? That's all up here. That's all up here. That's not God saying that, right? This is why this is so important. And Luther said, you need to teach this again and again and again and again and again and again. Yeah, because this is a battle that we're going to face a lot. And this is where our enemy is going to try to attack by saying, no, you're not accepted. If you were, you wouldn't be doing these things. Read these things daily. If you have a mindset of earning God's grace, continue to remind yourself that God has declared you righteous for all time. When, if you're struggling like Luther did. Go back to Galatians 15 to 21. If you don't think that you're righteous, if you don't think that you're accepted, read Galatians. Go back to God's word. Right? Go back to God's word, those two passages. There are more. But, you know, this is why we observe communion. Because communion is, yes, to remind us what Jesus Christ did for us, which we can't forget. But it's also to remind us that we are justified by faith and faith alone in what Jesus did for us. You know, 1 Corinthians 11.23 says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance for me, of me. You know, for us to be justified by faith in Christ alone, his body had to be broken. His body had to be nailed to the cross. But he did that for us. He did that because he did all the work and not us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He said, this cup is a new covenant or new agreement in my blood. No longer do you have to work to be accepted. You are accepted solely based upon God's grace and solely based upon what? The blood that he shed for you. Worship team, could you please come forward as we, I close this in pray, prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, there have been so many times that, you know, I just struggled with my faith, believing that I was not worthy, that I struggled with the same sins over and over and over again. And I knew, Father, that you were a just God. And I knew that one day your patience would run out on me. And like Luther, I disliked, any, and I guess hate is a strong word, but I guess that could describe the way I felt, that I wanted to give up because it was too hard. But Father, I didn't understand your grace. I didn't understand that you declared me righteous, that everything that Christ had, Father, you attributed it to me. And Father, there are some here this morning who maybe not be yet, are not yet there yet, where they think their acceptance is based upon their succeeding and not failing. Oh, Father, may you make the truth of the gospel real to them. Father, would you let them know right now Father, that if they believe you, that they are your children. And Father, that they are fully accepted no matter how much good or how many times they succeed or how many times they fail. For Father, you have already declared them righteous. And if you're sitting here right now and you don't believe, and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you don't believe that you are righteous, I ask that you would just take a few moments to ask the Holy Spirit to speak God's truth in your life right now, to ask God to move that from something you know into your head to something you believe in your heart. Take a few moments to do that right now.
Gracious Heavenly Father, I know I've said this to you numerous times, but Father, when I get to see you face to face, Jesus, when I get to see you face to face, the first thing I'm going to do is get down on my knees and worship you and thank you for saving me. Because, Lord, I know that I could never, ever do that on my own. That without Jesus, your death on the cross, God, without the grace that you showed and that you've given to me as a free gift, I could have never done it. So thank you. Thank you. And Father, may we go out and live this week as one who Christ lives in us and not a prisoner of guilt or fear. In your son's name we pray, amen.